Well, good morning. Good morning. I got to be a part yesterday of a car line of people that were welcoming um, or cheering for inside our cars uh, a new bride and groom. And um, as I saw, the, as I drove by the cars of the people I love from our church, I thought, oh, I miss these people. So um, we miss you and want you to know that the staff and the elders, um, God, we're just praying over you. So um, happy Mother's Day. I especially want to give a shout out. I think of Mother's Day as people that, yes, are have actually been mothers, but I also think of Mother's Day as folks that are missionaries, TIFF. In Nigeria, I think of young life leaders. I think of people that love people like mothers. And um, in this time, I want to give one shout out. Everybody has experienced this in different ways, right? But some moms um, have had husbands come home. They're still doing their job. The laundry is up here. The dishes are all over here. We're cooking every night. And we're still in the back of our hearts. All the emotions of our people are running and I just want to say way to go moms uh, way to be strong and courageous so all right let me pray for us and we'll jump right into God's Word Lord Jesus thank you for today my heart keeps wanting to look out uh, towards times that are coming moments that are coming but this morning just we want to say thank you for today thank you for sunshine thank you for friends thank you for family thank you that you give us purpose um, that you give us power and strength, especially in times like this. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we consider your words to us this morning, would you literally strengthen our hearts, strengthen our persons, and, and affect and change our minds and hearts? We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, another time that America had their feet knocked out from under them, was in 1929. And two years in to that time in America, a grassroots movement started. And it was veterans from World War I. They had been promised when they finished um, the war that they would be given a bonus in the years to come. And they were two years into what we now call the Great Depression and they needed the bonus now. And so this grassroots movement began where people jumped on railroad cars and they literally went with their families to Washington, D.C. By the time everybody got there, there were 17,000 veterans of World War I and up to 50,000 people on Pennsylvania Avenue who would come to say, we need our bonuses now to feed our families. Well, Hoover was president and he immediately sent the request over to Congress. Congress said no. And the day that the congressman said no was the last day they would be in office that, that summer. And it said they literally snuck out of tunnels and back doors that so they wouldn't have to face the 50,000 people in front of the White House. So Hoover is now left to, to decide what, what do I do with these, these men and their families? And here's what he decided. He sent the U.S. Army against them. So let me be clear. Hoover ordered the United States Army, led by MacArthur, Patton, Eisenhower, against our World War I veterans. Uh, bayonets, cavalry, uh, tear gas, tanks, 
into this group of veterans and their families and burn down the shanties that they were living in and push them back across a bridge away from the White House. Three months later, FDR came into office. Not like shortly after he came into office, his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, no journalists, no uh, protection, drives in a car with a group of people to that same um, group of veterans and their families, gets out of the car and begins to walk around among them and she sings with them and she listens to their stories. And, and at one point she sat down beside a veteran and she ate beans with him with her fingers out of a can. And there was a woman there who was cold and she gave her her coat and she learned their names and she offered them worth. The next day, all three Washington papers, all three major papers, this is the headline they led with. Hoover sent the troops, FDR sent his wife. <laughs> it's a good Mother's Day story. Hoover sent the troops, FDR sent his wife. Spiritually speaking, I would say that Hoover sent the law and Eleanor Roosevelt showed up with unexpected grace and love. It didn't change the situation, but it did um, give people worth and calm rebellion and anger. See, the law, friends, always produces rebellion, but undeserved grace and love, it changes hearts. In the passage that we're looking at, that we've been reading in this series um, for the past however many weeks, it comes from a book of the Bible, we now call it a book of the Bible, from Galatians. But originally it was a letter. It was a letter from one of the first people that came to follow Jesus. His name was Paul and he was writing to a group of people a lot like you and I um, in an area called Galatia. So it was a letter and they were asking a question that I think a lot of us are asking today. Whether we're cautious about Jesus, we're curious, we're confused or we're committed to him. These people were asking something I think we're asking too. How do I connect my life to a holy God? What does that really look like? And the thing about these folks is that they were stunned by the unexpected grace and love of God. They were stunned by it. And then folks came in and said, well, it can't be that easy, right? I mean, you can't just, God can't just pour out his grace and love on us. We might, we must have to, we must need to do something to earn that, right? And so I want to start there, especially because we're talking about love this morning. And especially because I grew up in the South. I want to ask this question. Are you still stunned? Or maybe for the first time, might you be stunned by the undeserved, unexpected love and grace of God? See, I think if you grew up in the South like I did, and this is not true if you grew up in other parts of the country or you know, maybe other countries, but if you grew up where I grew up, I literally my whole life, bumper stickers, t-shirts, church signs, billboards, pamphlets, sidewalk talk, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Got it. Completely, utterly, totally familiar to me. Maybe too familiar. And so I want to do something unusual to start our time this morning. I want to take a minute and I want to make the love and grace of God unfamiliar to you. I want to make the love and grace of God inconceivable to you. 
And you might be thinking, that sounds like the worst Mother's Day message I've ever heard. Hang with me. I'm coming in the back door. All right? Just hang with me. I want to tell you our story. I want to tell you God's story with us from 10,000 feet. Ready? God of the universe's love was so great. He came to just an average guy. Right? I mean, nothing special about this guy. As a matter of fact, he wasn't going anywhere fast. And he said, Abraham, if you'll follow me, I mean, if you'll belong to me and let me lead your life, I'll bless you. I'll give you a family and a land. And he and his wife, Sarah, said, yes. And they had a son. And God was faithful to him. And they had a son. And they had a son and daughter. And those, those people, Abraham's family, became lots of people. And eventually they became a nation. And you might know the name of it. They became God's people, the Israelites. And at one point in God's story with with his people, he made a covenant. That's like an unbreakable promise, an agreement with them through a leader named Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses. And, and he said, if you will follow this agreement with me, I'll be your God and you can be my people. Now here's the key about this part of the story. These people that, that were being asked by God, did they want to belong to him? They had seen God do unbelievable, miraculous, unexplainable, enormously powerful things. They believed God. They wanted to follow him and belong to him, right? So in this agreement were laws. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? So if I'm going to be your God, here's what you need to do to belong to me. But there weren't just Ten Commandments. There were actually, you ready? 613 laws 613 now it would have been scrolls not pieces of paper but you can appreciate that that's hebrew right i can't read it but it's still hebrew 613 laws now i just want to ask you a question if it was still the deal that god was saying i'll protect you and you can belong to me and i'll be your god and i'll bless you if you do all of this every day flawlessly if that was still our deal how would your personality respond to that? How would you respond to that? I mean, some of you are thinking, oh, I'd do it. And I'd do it great. And some of you are thinking, oh, I'd do it. And then I'd tell all y'all how you weren't doing it right. And some of you are thinking, I'd pretend to do it and hope I didn't get busted. And some of you are thinking, that makes me want, I'm so anxious thinking about that. Like, forget it, I'm out, right? And the people responded in all of those ways. But here was the pattern. They wanted God. So they tried and they failed and they asked for forgiveness. And they tried and they failed and they asked for forgiveness. And when Moses, right before he died, this is what he said to the people. I know you want to follow God. I know you want this. But here's why you're not ever going to be able to do it faithfully. Because your heart is hard. You need a new heart. Well, the story goes on, and the summary is um, that was that was the law, right? That was the story of God, the first five books of the Bible, right? And the story goes on for all these prophets. They're people that God sent to draw the people back to him, and they reflected back on this story again and again, and they thought, how will God fix this? How will God fix this? It was people like a guy named Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel said. He said, how will God fix this problem? I think God will give him a new heart. He'll put a new spirit within them. 
I think he'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God will do that. And then a guy named Jeremiah, called by God to draw the people back, said the same thing. The people are going to need a new heart. And then a guy named Isaiah, called by God to draw the people back, said, yes, they're going to need a new heart. And I think God's going to have to send a rescuer, a deliverer. And then Jesus began to walk the earth. And you know what Jesus believed about himself? He was the continuation of that story. He literally said, I've come to fulfill, to make right the law and what the prophets said. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Somebody came to him and, and they were actually trying to trick him. They were trying to trip him up. And they said, hey, if you're, you know, this wise teacher, everybody's falling around, how would you sum these suckers up, right? Like, you know, that's a lot. So 613 laws, how would you sum that up? Just give us like the Cliff Notes version. And here's what he said. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then the second one's like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this, all of the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. And the people said, whoa, let me get this straight. I can trade this for those two things. All I had to do is love God and love people. That's it. I'm in. I'm down with that. And Jesus said, you know what? It might not be as easy as you think. Let me give you an example. Has anybody in quarantine been like, frustrated with anybody else at any point. I mean, I'm sure you guys have to struggle with that. The worst least, it's come up a couple of times. We're sheltering with seven people. Okay. I mean, once maybe, right? Well, it came up like one time. Yeah. Frustrated. Maybe, maybe you felt anger. Um, maybe you've gone to sleep at night, like uh, resentful of someone, like harboring that. Jesus said, if you have experienced anger our bitterness, our resentment against another person, you've broken the laws of God. It, it's, it's like you murdered them. You didn't, you didn't love them. He said the problem is you think you want to love, but you need a new heart. And you're like, this is the worst downer Mother's Day sermon I've ever heard. Okay, here's where it makes a turn. You ready? Where God's people failed. And friends, we do every day. Jesus brought the story to fulfillment because he perfectly loved God and loved other people. He showed God what was like, what God was like by the way he walked among us and loved us. He was full of compassion. Friends, he touched people with leprosy, people that were blind, people that were bleeding, people that were lame. He gave them worth and life. He, he took people that were forgotten and ignored in that society like women and slaves. And he said, no, no, no. They have great, beautiful, God-given value. And he lifted them up. He showed compassion and mercy. And people got the love of God. And he loved people, even his enemies, to the cross. And on that cross, our rebellion and our failure to keep God's laws and our hard hearts were poured out on Jesus for us. Remember our Easter message that Michael's been teaching us, ready? He walked among us. He suffered. 
Say it with me. He died. But never, ever, ever forget this part. He resurrected. Friends, he resurrected. And when he did, this is what he said. I will put God's spirit in you to transform your hearts. There it is. When we cross that line of faith, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. In, in everything that I understand, I want to accept your forgiveness, your death on a cross in my place, and I want to follow you as much as I understand that today. When that happens, the one-time gift of the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, comes to dwell within us, and he changes our hearts for us. Because we can do it. There it is. Are you still stunned by the unexpected and undeserved love and grace of God in your life? Are you still stunned by that? Maybe are you stunned by that for the first time? It was the first time you've ever heard that. One of my favorite storytellers is Tony Kampala. And he tells one of my most beautifully held stories in my heart. Um, he was living on the East Coast, but he was teaching at a conference in Honolulu. And so his, his time was all messed up. And it was 3 o'clock in the morning. He was wide awake. So he's looking around for, you know, coffee, something to eat and eat. And there was like this one diner. It was the only one open. So at 3 o'clock in the morning. He, he goes into the diner and he's hanging out. And he's getting something to eat. And he's drinking a cup of coffee. And, and in walk these, um, a group of ladies of the evening. And they fill up the diner. And, um, and they're kind of sitting there. And Tony's you know, overhearing some of the conversation. And one of the ladies named Agnes says, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. <laughs> I have never had a birthday party, so I guess it doesn't really matter. And she left. They all left. And Tony looked at this, you know, guy behind the counter and he goes, he goes, hey, could I come back tomorrow night and like throw Agnes a birthday party? And the guy's like, well, if I cook and make the birthday cake and yeah, I guess you could show up. And so he did. He got streamers and made poster boards. And then the word kind of got out. And by the time Tony got back there the next night, the place was packed out. Birthday cake, food, signs, streamers. And they got everybody ready. And in comes Agnes and a couple of her friends, uh, predictably at 3 o'clock in the morning. And when she walked in, sorry, everybody screamed, Happy birthday! And she was Stunned. Like just flabbergasted. Silence. Nothing. And and the guy, the cook, said, Well, come on, Agnes, blow up the candle already. But too many tears she couldn't, so he did. And then he started to cut the cake and he, and she said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. If it would be okay, could I just could I take this home? Um and keep it for a little bit? And he's like, Oh, sure, Agnes and you know, she walks out like this, and the place is silence. Silence. Because she was, and they were stunned by the unexpected and maybe the undeserved love and grace of God pouring through another person to Agnes. Friends, in this time, if there's anything we've learned about the churches, it's not a building. It's not a place where we go. It's the people of God. 
It's, it's ragged people of God who could never have fulfilled the laws of God. It's about a God of the universe chasing us down throughout time to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Give us a new heart. Ever ask yourself, what's the one thing that the church has to offer that the world cannot get anywhere else? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to build homes for the homeless or to to feed the poor or to donate to charity or affect political change. What's the one thing that the church has to offer that the world can't get anywhere else? Grace. Being chosen. Wanted. Because when we're apart from God, we have awe, but there's nothing big enough to hold that awe for very long. We have guilt and there's nowhere to be truly forgiven. We have purpose, but we get to the end and go, did that really matter? We, we have fear and we go, well, you know, it's all up to me. But alive to God, we have strength to endure. We have power to serve. We have reason to hope. And even death cannot hold us, just like it did not hold Jesus. And all of that, we have done absolutely nothing to deserve. It's grace. So why start there when we're talking about love? Here's the reason. Grace fully realized literally energizes love. Grace, living in grace, remembering grace, grace fully realized, being stunned again by the grace that we've been given, energizes love. That's the fuel here's the thing we can receive that one-time gift of the Holy Spirit that that remaking of our hearts and it's possible to not do anything with it to let it lay dormant and that's why you'll meet some Christians sometimes that you're like hmm I don't really like them too much because I'm not you know I'm not being ugly but they they receive the gift but maybe nobody ever told them so now you grow it. That's the partnership that Michael's been talking about. God did this much. We just talked about that. But we got a part in the partnership too. And that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Okay, fruit of the Spirit. It's like when you spend time with a really, really good friend all the time and you start acting like each other, right? So as we spend time with God and that looks like this, it looks like maybe, you know, the first book of the Bible I ever read was, was John. Maybe you pick up John, you just read it, right? Maybe it looks like listening to our podcast, our songs from LCD while you're washing that pile of dishes in your sink. As you spend time with God, you start to become more like him. And his fruit grows in you. It's like a light that starts out kind of dim and it grows stronger and stronger and stronger. Because God is doing that in you while you spend time with him. All right, so let's bring it into today. Love. What does the fruit of the Spirit of love look like in our lives? Well, I want to talk with what it's not, what the biblical definition of love is not, all right? Um, it's just like a backdoor day message. What it's not. The biblical love is not affection. Affection is not wrong. I mean, you might feel affection and friendships. You might feel it romantically. Affection is not wrong, but that's not the biblical definition of love. 
when um, I first started out in ministry in my 20s, I was on Young Life staff. Love Young Life ministry. And I loved these people that I got to work with. They were mostly volunteers. And they literally worked full-time jobs. And then they spent their free time telling teenagers, hanging out with teenagers, saying, here's the love of God for you. And just doing life with them. And at the end of the year one year, we were getting out these not valuable but sentimental um, gifts to our leaders. And I had to stand up in front of the room. as about 7,500 people of volunteers and committee and things like that and, and speak about each of my team members. So I'm standing up and I'm going through and talking about how I appreciate each one. And then I get to Bill Worsley, who is now my husband of 28 years. And, um, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, just the heart of this guy and how he loves people. And I tear up spontaneously. This is not me. I do not often tear up spontaneously. And here's what I thought. Oh, man, I dig this guy. Like, I got a thing for him. That's where I discovered it, in front of a hundred people. Now, just for the record, he came to me first. Just wanted to close that story. But 28 years later, I still remember this moment. That was the moment I figured out I had affection for him. After we were married, I can picture where I was standing in our apartment, little bitty duplex. And I remember the first time that my brokenness hurt him. And when you love someone with all your soul and your brokenness hurts them, it's piercing. And that's when I learned the beginning of our marriage. Oh, now I get to start learning how to love him with a biblical love. And that's what this is. Biblical love is distinct from affection, but it leads to affection. Okay? Because biblical love is serving someone. Biblical love is meeting the needs of others before or maybe even in, in, in place instead of my needs. And, and this biblical love can work itself out with a roommate, a neighbor, a friend, a stranger, an enemy, a spouse, a child. Biblical love is serving, and it's distinct from affection, but it leads to affection. Here's what I mean. So we have these amazing ministry partners um, and opportunities for you as a church to go on missions. Can't do it this summer, but when you can, go. We, we work with these beautiful kids in Nigeria and Bolivia and Honduras, um, the Bahamas and in, a, in places in the domestic U.S., um, and, and here's what happens on a mission trip to your heart. Ready? When I was in Nigeria um, a couple summers ago with my son Will and Campbell, and we walked into the after-school program that Access to Success runs there. We had never met these kids before. We were going to be there five days. When they walked in, they were they were quiet, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe they're um. I don't know, maybe they're like, they're weirded out because they're strangers here, Americans here, right? And, and they were super quiet and they sat down super orderly and we began to serve them. Just dishing out food and bringing drinks and, and just loving on them, a whole bunch of them. And, and after they ate, they came alive because they were hungry. And we spent that week, I mean, serving, but guys, I mean, just light serving, <laughs> Nothing like what some people in the world are doing. But as we loved these kids and served them, 
our hearts were bent to them. We had never met them before. Five, day, five days later, we loved them. Biblical love serving leads to great affection. This is another great example is motherhood. From the moment you conceive a child and you're carrying a child, that's when you start serving them. Because it changes your body, it, it changes how you what you eat, how you sleep, what your future is, what your priorities are. From that moment on, a good mom is serving that child. And that's why even if a child is, is gone astray, maybe a child is really struggling, guess what a mama's heart feels for that child? Only love. They have different hopes for them maybe, but great affection because they have served them. One thought about marriage in this regard, sometimes people will come to me over the years and they'll say, like, the love's not there anymore. I'm not feeling the love in my marriage. And one of the possibilities in that is you have kids and you start serving and loving those kids, but you forget to serve each other, right? Because biblical love of servanthood breeds affection, and affection brings itself back to serving. But let me bring this down to one practical thought for us to end. Um, when I first um, realized God's undeserved, unexpected love and grace for me, when I was first stunned by that, I didn't know much about God's word. So I had someone go out and help me buy a Bible. Um, and I, I sat down and I started to read the book of John. It, it's a good place to start. Uh, one of the biographies of Jesus, so the first four books of the New Testament, um, use the table of contents. That's what's there. And practically speaking, I started to try to bend my will to God's. So my attitudes, the way that I spoke, the priorities of my life. Um, I, I started to look for places where, where God spoke something to us about the the what life was, like, like what life was supposed to be like. And I started to say, whoa, that's way different from how I'm living. And so I, practically speaking, biblical love, the fruit of the spirit of love to come out in your life is to just spend time with God and go, you know what, practically where do I need to bend my will to his so his love shows more through me? One last thought, one last word picture to end with. Um, one of my fears, I love this series. Like, it's so beautiful. But one of my fears was that someone could possibly um, come out of these weeks or out of this series and think, oh, man, just like weighed down, like now I got to be joyful and faithful and self-controlled and like they'd feel weighted down by it. So here's the word picture I want to leave you with. Ready? Um, at the beginning, I wish I could show it to you, but you can drive, hey, you can drive by my, you can walk by my house and look at it. In the front left corner of our yard is this giant dogwood tree and it's been there all the years that we've lived there. And this year at the beginning of the spring, it, it looked dead. Um, I mean, it, it, the branches are, um, the branches are like gray and they're stiff and we were like, oh man, it's dead. 
But as spring continued on, literally right at the trunk of the tree, these green sprouts started coming out. And, and it made like, well, a new life right at the center of the tree. And if you walk by my house, you'll see the whole outside of the tree is dead. But this new life is coming up from the trunk. Friends, that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's might and God's ability to change our hearts and to affect love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. God's ability to affect that in our lives while we just hang out with Him. Let me pray for us. Father God, help us to be stunned again by the undeserved and unexpected grace and love that you have shown us in our lives. Lord, we could never have gotten there on our own. And we humbly thank you for that gift. We thank you for your presence in our lives or the possibility that you would be present in our lives. And we ask God that you would show us how to draw near to you that we might become more like you. And offer that pouring through us to people that will be stunned by your love and grace. God, we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.